Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, January 20th, 2023, the 730th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the merch site, and the social media all by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So because today is the 730th day of dystopia, the two-year anniversary of the installation by the regime of an illegitimate dictatorial fake president, let me put it another way. Today is the 730th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, 
ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You got him in there and everything has fallen apart since. How's it going, commies? It's been two years, two years. Think back to where you were on January 20th, 2021. We were two weeks past the very violent insurrection. We saw the overwhelming evidence of election fraud in the clear light of day. And for that, we were called domestic terrorists. They said we were repeating the big lie. So let's recall the definition of the big lie as attributed at least to Joseph Goebbels. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. And it's striking that they would even attempt to use this concept and apply it to Trump supporters, people who recognize the obvious truth that the 2020 election was stolen at all levels and that elections have been stolen in the past for a long time because none of us had the power of the state behind us. None of us had the power of the media. We weren't the ones censoring or propagandizing. We were the ones who were fully aware that they started and then exploited the very deadly pandemic in order to justify the mail-in balloting that they would use to steal the election. We saw it happen in real time. The evidence was overwhelming. Thousands of affidavits, people caught on video, smuggling ballots into vote centers in the middle of the night, ballots coming out from under tables and suitcases. Mathematical impossibilities, ballot harvesting, machine manipulations, fraudulent registrations, dirty voter rolls that the regime refused to fix. And the list goes on and on. We saw it all. We weren't lying about anything. We certainly weren't telling the big lie because we did not have the capacity to do so by the definition of the big lie. But did they? If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Well, is that what happened? It worked for a while, no doubt. But what's the next sentence? The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic or military consequences of the lie. And the state has not shielded people from those consequences. In fact, those consequences have been right up in everyone's face unless... You are one of the most privileged people in our society. We have spent now three years enduring the greatest concurrent crises this country has ever faced. The pandemic, the stolen election, an invasion on our borders and the weaponization of the U.S. government against the American people and the people can see it. If the way to maintain the lie is through that state power and the lie is less believable by the day, you can assume that the state's power to maintain the lie is continually diminishing. It's not growing. 
We are absolutely in a better position now than we were two years ago. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. And what is happening? People are learning the truth. The full truth? No. We don't even know what the full truth is. It's not possible for us to know what the full truth is. But we are trying. We're moving in that direction faster every day, and we're picking up people along the way every single day, which means that despite our inability to reach full truth, what we do have is a larger and larger mass of people refusing to believe the big lies. It's telling that in that quote attributed to Goebbels, the failure of that tactic is embedded in the tactic, which is what you would expect in any evil regime, any collectivist regime. That stands in opposition to human individuality and human liberty. The truth will cause the whole thing to collapse. And we are watching that process in real time. And let's think back to Inauguration Day. Donald Trump did not attend the inauguration. He took Marine One to Andrews Air Force Base, gave a brief speech. They gave a cannon salute and Donald Trump got into Air Force One and flew to Florida. Meanwhile, Joe Biden and the communist regime staged an inauguration in Washington, D.C. that the citizens of the country were not allowed to attend because of COVID. But Bernie Sanders attended. He attended in a parka and mittens, and they sat socially distanced and watched Lady Gaga dressed like the Hunger Games sing to everybody. Joe Biden talked about unity. He was going to bring the entire country together. He went to the tomb of the unknown soldier where he was given not the traditional military salute, but the military salute of a foreign dignitary. Troops stationed in Washington, D.C. turned their backs to his motorcade. He couldn't get the White House door open. And then Bono performed. And that was very likely the only good day of Joe Biden's fake presidency. Every day since then has been an absolute mess. They conduct most of their business, not from the White House, but from a building across the street, a sound studio where Joe Biden pretends to be conducting the nation's business on a series of screens. Biden has mandated vaccines. He has tried over and over again to reinstitute mask mandates. He told us that it would be a dark winter of illness and death for the unvaccinated. Well, that didn't happen. He had the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan on his watch. He has pushed the global communist agenda. He ran on Build Back Better which is directly from the World Economic Forum. He has done as much as he can to push the Green New Deal agenda into place. He oversaw the instigation of Russia invading Ukraine and promptly sent over $100 billion worth of American taxpayer money and American military equipment over to Ukraine to support an army full of actual Nazis and foreign mercenaries to protect 
one of the most corrupt states in the world, one of the prime regime states, to protect what they were doing at Defense Department funded biolabs near Ukraine's Russia border. A biolab program that, by the way, was initiated by Barack Obama as a senator and facilitated by none other than Joe Biden with the evidence on Hunter Biden's laptop. He has overseen an invasion at the southern border. He works in direct coordination with the Mexican drug cartels and globalist regime NGOs that facilitate the slave trade. He is presiding over human trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking, and drug trafficking. He has crippled our economy. Inflation has skyrocketed. And countries in the world are leaving the U.S. petrodollar. He has given speech after speech with the implied and sometimes explicit threat of state force to be used against his political opponents. He has attempted to prosecute his political opponents. He has propped up and presided over a censorship and propaganda regime, the likes of which the world has probably never seen, including in 1940s Germany or in communist Russia or Mao's China. People talk constantly about how he's incompetent and demented, and those are both certainly true, but those aren't the biggest problems. The problem isn't his incompetence. The problem is that he is facilitating the implementation of an agenda he can't even understand. He is just a vessel that the regime uses to push the agenda onto the American public. I would say he's the worst president of all time, but the truth is he's not the president. He's not in any way a legitimate president and history, I still believe, will not record him as one. So let's talk a little bit about how we got here and then how things are going. This is from Breitbart on Wednesday, California, 10.8 million mail-in ballots unaccounted for in 2022 elections. More than 10.8 million mail-in ballots went unaccounted for in California's midterm elections last year. Data published by the Public Interest Legal Foundation reveals. In 2022, California election officials mailed out more than 22.1 million ballots to registered voters. The data published by PILF shows. Of those, more than 10.8 million went unaccounted for, as researchers said election officials can only make assumptions as to what happened with the ballots. So 22.1 million went out. 10.8 million are unaccounted for. That's almost half of them. We have known beyond any doubt, it is publicly available knowledge that mail-in balloting is one of the least safe and least secure methods of voting. That was revealed, not like people couldn't understand it on their own, but it was revealed in a study, which makes it more real, from the Carter-Baker Commission. It's one of those things everyone knew doesn't work, and then they did it anyway, and now they tell us it was always perfect. It's like wearing a mask to prevent the spread of an aerosolized virus that the mask in no way can prevent, something that the science has always known up until just a couple of years ago when they needed it to be different. 
Typically, when a polling place opens and closes, there is an accounting of all election materials. Significant issues arise when incidents occur, such as ballots disappearing at poll closing time. With mass mail elections, problems accumulate, PILF researchers state, and they enclose some of the research from that study. After accounting for polling place votes and rejected ballots in November 2022, there were more than 10 million ballots left outstanding, meaning election officials do not know what happened to them. It is fair to assume that the bulk of these were ignored or ultimately thrown out by the intended recipients. But under mass mail elections, we can only assume what happened. Mail voting practices have an insurmountable information gap. The public cannot know how many ballots were disregarded, delivered to wrong mailboxes, or even withheld from the proper recipient by someone at the same address. Or, hey, how about this? It's also possible that the people who work for the U.S. mail might not all be patriotic Americans with a sense of fiduciary duty to do their jobs properly, particularly when they're told by all of culture and their union that Donald Trump is a bad, bad man. And so naturally, there were many, many instances of problems directly from the U.S. Postal Service. Meanwhile, more than 226,000 mail-in ballots were rejected in the 2022 primary and general midterm elections in California including more than 120,000 mail-in ballots that were thrown out in the general election. The data published by PILF finds that more than 800 mail-in ballots were rejected after California election officials discovered the person who cast them had already voted. Oh, I thought that didn't happen. Likewise, more than 57,000 mail-in ballots were rejected for arriving late, nearly 48,000 for not having a matching signature, nearly 12,000 for having no signature, and 660 for refusing to provide any identification. I wonder who all those rejected ballots were for, since California actually takes three weeks, sometimes six weeks, to deliver their election results, and they have no hesitation to push ballots in after the fact. Mail ballots disenfranchise, PILF President J. Christian Adams said in a statement. There are many reasons mail ballots fail ultimately to count. No one casting a ballot at home can correct an error before it's too late, Adams said. California's vote by mail demonstration should serve as a warning to state legislators elsewhere. But will it? Well, of course not. They have known about these problems and they are either incompetent to fix them or they simply don't want to fix them because the whole thing about election fraud is it's not just the Democrats and it's not just Joe Biden and it doesn't just affect MAGA candidates. Establishment Republicans benefit from election fraud the same way that establishment Democrats do. And if we fail to understand that, if we view things only through the Democrat Republican paradigm, then we can't possibly figure out how to fix the actual problems. This is the Federalist from Wednesday. With 25,000 mysterious votes and missing documents, Maricopa's 2022 election process marked by chaos and uncertainty. Now, this is a story we've discussed on the podcast before. This 25,000 number was in Kerry Lake's lawsuit against Katie Hobbs and the rest of the corrupt regime officials in Arizona who have attempted to steal that election. Although the court cases are ongoing, Kerry Lake's hearing is scheduled for the 24th of January. That's next Tuesday. And it's nice that the Federalist is finally covering election fraud. 
While the GOP and conservative media have largely moved on from Arizona gubernatorial candidate Kerry Lake and the systemic failures that occurred in Maricopa County on November 8th, court testimony and eyewitness reports from the Lake trial include allegations that Arizona's largest county violated state law by failing to implement chain of custody documentation for Election Day ballots, resulting in a mysterious 25,000 extra votes added to Maricopa's official tally within a 24 hour period more than the margin of victory between Lake and gubernatorial victor Katie Hobbs. It was about 10 p.m. on election night when Maricopa County's ballot tabulation vendor, Runbeck Election Services, received its first truckload of election day drop box ballots. While Runbeck received seven truckloads total, the last was completed about 5 a.m. the following morning, Runbeck staff thought it odd the deliveries did not come earlier throughout the day. But that wasn't the only glitch. There were no chain of custody forms delivered with the ballots, a stark departure from typical procedure. According to Runbeck employee Denise Marie, prior to November 8th, drop box ballots were delivered in red bins with a chain of custody form from the Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center, which listed how many ballots were delivered. But on election night, quote, instead of receiving the ballots in red bins, the ballots from the drop boxes had been placed in mail trays and loaded onto mail cages. MCTEC, that's the Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center, MCTEC, did not include the Maricopa County delivery receipt forms with any of the Election Day Dropbox ballot deliveries. There were no chain of custody forms with the ballots and no count of the number of ballots that were delivered, Marie wrote in a sworn affidavit. Maricopa County Co-Director of Elections Reynaldo Valenzuela even testified that while the county's election workers count Dropbox ballots and record the counts on documents as required by law prior to Election Day, they did not count the ballots retrieved from Dropboxes on Election Day itself. During the Lake trial, Valenzuela was asked whether Maricopa County election officials know the precise number of Dropbox ballots on Election Day, and he told the court, quote, on Election Day, no, because we're not doing Dropbox courier process at that time. It's a different process for Election Day. According to Lake Attorney Kurt Olson, this is in direct violation of Arizona state statute, which requires the county recorder to maintain records that log the chain of custody for ballots, quote, during early voting through the completion of provisional voting tabulation, end quote. And the article goes on. We've discussed this before, but these stories are now being pushed out to a much wider audience. The Federalist is not ABC News. But many mainstream conservatives and even probably some moderate Democrats will see articles from the Federalist. These are blatant violations of election law. This is lawlessness. The law requires them to do something. They failed to do that thing. Therefore, their elections are uncertifiable. That's how it's supposed to work. But of course, the legal system has been infiltrated as well. Judges can be corrupted and compromised. Judges can be made to do the bidding of the people who want to steal elections. And we've seen it over and over and over again. And that's one of the very few explanations for how Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes. Remember what the communists tell us. Well, the TV said that Joe Biden won. Bill Barr said he hadn't seen enough evidence of election fraud. Chris Krebs said the elections were the safest and most secure elections in American history. 
And everybody has just taken on the idea as true that Donald Trump lost all his cases, including the ones overseen by Trump appointed judges, because there was no evidence of election fraud, not understanding that those cases were almost exclusively dismissed on procedural grounds. And speaking of Bill Barr, this is from just this week. This is uh, an article in the Gateway Pundit. The headline is more evidence. FOIA requests reveal there were no DOJ investigations on election fraud after 2020, as Bill Barr claimed. Jeffrey Clark told Steve Bannon, the Center for Renewing America sent out FOIA requests to 12 U.S. attorney districts from the 2020 battleground states. Bill Barr sent out a memo on November 9th saying there should be investigations of the elections. Jeff Clark told Steve Bannon the FOIA requests have come back from every district but one with no documents. No investigations were done as a result of that memo. There is only one of the 12 districts that has not yet come in, and that's the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. The U.S. attorney of the Eastern District asked to investigate issues in his district. Barr denied the request. Bill Barr lied to the American public. Now he got caught. And we'll see how that works out for Bill Barr. But this is where we are with this part of the narrative and this information. The FOIAs went out for responsive documents about those investigations in 2020 overseen by the DOJ, and there were no responsive documents, which either means the investigations did not happen or the documents simply are not being returned for FOIA. And we can only speculate on what the reasons for that might be. But on its face, it seems like those investigations simply never happened. Yet another pillar of the fake president's justification for how he possibly received 81 million real legal American votes is gone. This is from just the news on Wednesday. Again, not ABC News, not the huge wide audience, but a substantial audience. And John Solomon is a very credible reporter. So this is going out pretty wide. This is an article, as I said, from Wednesday, as mail ballots, machines, Mar voting in some states, others seek to tighten election security. And he discusses the mail-in ballot issue in California and then goes on. Arizona's largest county, meanwhile, is investigating election day errors that critics allege resulted in the mass disenfranchisement of disproportionately Republican voters. Maricopa County, where at least 70 vote centers experienced ballot printer issues on election day, resulting in vote tabulation machine errors, announced earlier this month that former Arizona Supreme Court Chief Justice Ruth McGregor will conduct an investigation into the machine malfunctions. In New Jersey, a vote tabulation system error resulted in the double counting of votes in six voting districts across four municipalities, resulting in the wrong candidate being declared the winner in a local school board election, the New Jersey Globe reported. In the school board race in Monmouth County's Ocean Township, Steve Clayton was originally declared the winner by 20 votes with 3,523 votes to opponent Jeffrey Weinstein's 3,503. But after an audit by the county's voting machine vendor, ES&S, found that some votes were double counted, Weinstein emerged as the leader by one vote. ES&S said in a statement to the Washington Examiner, at Monmouth County's request, ES&S recently reviewed the county's election data which revealed that a technician inadvertently loaded votes twice in error. Typically, our software blocks this from happening. 
Unfortunately, a human error in a July software reinstallment missed the step that would have flagged the mistake. This anomaly is isolated to Monmouth County. The integrity of elections are ultimately protected by a series of checks and balances, and we are grateful for an audit that revealed this human error. Oh, really, ESNS? You're grateful for the audit? Well, how come there aren't audits everywhere? How come there aren't legitimate forensic audits everywhere? If you care about checks and balances, and you also care about people trusting your totally untrustworthy voting machines. The company said the error occurred when the USB flash media were loaded twice into the results reporting module. The Globe reported, you see that just human error. Now, it's not the sort of human error that could ever happen with a system that is actually secure. But if you had a system that's actually secure, well, then you couldn't steal elections. The state's attorney general's office has advised the county board of elections to recount and rectify the results of the general election. And the board is expected to request a judge to order a recount, according to the Globe. As some states struggle with mail ballots and voting machine issues, other states seek to secure their elections with state legislators introducing new election integrity legislation. And they have done that in states and they have passed some in certain states. And none of that has helped to secure elections in those states. Elections are still stolen in Georgia. Elections are still stolen in Texas and Florida. And nothing about how the GOP performed in those states in the midterms suggests otherwise. It's not D versus R. It's the uniparty versus the people. The uniparty is happy to put uniparty members with little R's next to their name in office if it allows their agenda to continue moving forward. In Idaho, the House of Representatives is sending a bill to the floor that would require election audits to count ballots by hand rather than rely on tabulation machines, the Idaho Capital Sun reported. The bill would enshrine in law current audit hand count practices that the previous Idaho Secretary of State had instituted via directives. Election reforms introduced in the Alaska state legislature include eliminating ranked choice voting, increasing security of absentee ballots, and ensuring that approved open source software voting machines are used in the state, the Center Square reported. Since Alaska used ranked choice voting for the first time in the state's elections last year, eight bills have been introduced in the legislature to change the intricate voting system. Three of the measures call for complete elimination of ranked choice voting and a return to the prior voting system. With ranked choice voting, if no candidate receives more than 50% of the vote, then an instant runoff system is triggered. When voters cast their ballots, they rank each candidate in order of first choice to last. In the event that the 50% plus one vote threshold isn't reached by a candidate, then the candidate with the least amount of first choice votes is eliminated and that candidate's voters' second choice votes are reallocated among the remaining candidates and tallied, which continues until a candidate receives the majority of the vote. Ranked choice voting is one of the worst possible election formats, especially in states that begin to fold in all of the other election manipulations that they've already passed and have already spent cycle after cycle operating their elections under. Alaska is thought of as a deep red state. But still, it took them days, if not, I think it was actually weeks, 
to count the vote in 2020, because who knows? Alaska could have made all the difference. Wouldn't want to call it too early and then not be able to get the result we want nationwide. And the article goes through a few more states. Phil Klein, director of the Amistad Project, told Just the News on Wednesday that there are four false narratives that have prevented good election policy. One, there's no fraud in American elections. Two, policies regarding the administration of elections are transparent. Three, voters and ballots are generally treated the same within a state. And four, it's difficult to vote in the U.S. Election fraud has recurred throughout U.S. history, he said, and voting in the U.S. isn't difficult. The U.S. has, quote, some of the least transparent elections in the world, end quote. As systems have changed over the past 20 years from the simple management of elections that everyone could understand to, quote, expert machine-based election systems that aren't transparent, end quote. The former Kansas attorney general said the injection of large sums of private money into election administration has resulted in disparate treatment of voters as ballots are cast weeks before Election Day during early voting unsupervised by election officials via methods such as drop boxes. And if you recall back to late 2020, Phil Klein was the guy who was handling the situation with the truck driver who left Bethpage, New York with ballots, went down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that load of ballots had disappeared overnight from his truck. He was also the guy breaking the whole story wide open of the big tech manipulation, specifically on the Facebook side with Mark Zuckerberg and the Center for Tech and Civic Life and all of that 400 to 500 million dollars flowing in to states and localities around the country in order to control their elections. He bought the drop boxes. He bought election judges. And he bought off the officials to implement these policies. I've actually made contact with Phil Klein recently and hope to have him on the podcast soon. Our elections are broken on multiple levels all around the country. There is no denying that at this point. Even the efforts for election integrity suggest that the regime and the corrupt regime politicians understand that the current environment is untenable. People know that elections are stolen, so the regime is forced to at least pretend to fix them. It's not some fringe element of the Republican Party understanding that elections are stolen. It's just about everybody. But nevertheless, the illegitimate president presses forward. This is also from Just the News. Yesterday, Biden reportedly set to announce 2024 decision following State of the Union. President Joe Biden is reportedly still set to announce his 2024 reelection bid shortly after his State of the Union address, even amid an ongoing scandal involving classified documents at his personal residence. The Democratic president was planning to launch a campaign sometime in the period after his February 7th State of the Union address prior to that scandal. CNN reported on Thursday, and the plan remains the same in spite of that controversy. So Joe Biden is planning on giving a State of the Union address in a couple of weeks. The man who cannot think in complete sentences is going to go address the country for an hour or more, pretending to be president. And this year, it's going to be even more difficult than it's been in the past 
because he doesn't have the protections that COVID provided, the optical protections that COVID provided. He doesn't have the protection of the media anymore. And the people of the country want nothing to do with him. This is Mark Mitchell from Rasmussen yesterday on The War Room. Take it away. Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for public opinion to swing big here. Um, so the first question I want to run through uh, three real quick is we asked approval of Merrick Garland's investigation into Biden's handling classified documents at his home in Delaware in the office of the D.C. think tank. And voters, bipartisan and overwhelmingly, support the investigation. So 77 percent of Republicans, 74 percent of Democrats and actually 81 percent of independents. And for Republicans, it's 57 percent strongly approved. Democrats, it's 44 percent strongly approved. So I think American voters do not like seeing classified documents mishandled. They expect better of their politicians in D.C. And even with the very, very, very poor view that Republicans have of the FBI and the Department of Justice, they're happy to see this thing go right on ahead. And even Democrats support Biden being investigated. Now, whether that's they think he has nothing to hide, whether that's they think he, he the fix is in, I can't say. Um, they have relatively very high opinions of the FBI and the DOJ right now. So, um, But the other is we freshened up that question that we love to ask about how likely is it that since he became president, Joe Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors that would justify impeachment proceedings against him. And for the very first time, a small majority of Americans actually say it's likely. So we're up to 51 percent now. And the numbers have been ticking up over the last couple. We've asked it three times. I think it was 49 percent, then 50. Now it's 51 percent. So a majority of American voters think that the sitting president has committed impeachable offenses while in office. And 34 percent of voters say it's very likely. But what's surprising is, uh, you know, you'd expect the Republican number to be high. It is. It's 72 percent who say it's at least somewhat likely. Um, but it's 47 percent for independents. And the Democrat number has really swung big. It's up to 34 uh, percent, with 20 percent of Democrats saying that it's very likely he committed impeachable high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, and so the, the other one to bring back is, you, you know, we've talked about this before in your show, but it's a truth. We asked this uh, most recently in September. Do you support or impose impeaching President Biden? And 53 percent, a majority of voters support it. Thirty eight percent support it strongly. One third of Democrats, including 20 percent who strongly support it, support impeaching the president of their own party. Fifty one percent, a majority of independents and 77 percent of Republicans. So I hear a lot of talk about investigations in Capitol Hill. American voters have, by and large, been ready for impeachment for a very long time, and it has nothing to do with the handling of classified documents. It has to do with things like the border in Afghanistan. One third of Democrats support the impeachment of Joe Biden. Twenty percent of Democrats strongly support the impeachment of Joe Biden. And yet we're supposed to believe that Joe Biden not only received the most votes of any president in American history by far, but also that his party overperformed in the 2022 midterms. It actually amazes me that people believe all of this stuff could just be true. Joe Biden could really be that popular. Democrats could really win the 2022 midterms. Elections are totally safe and secure, but also 
a third of Democrats want to see the president, in quotes, of their own party impeached. And again, this sentiment was out there before the document scandal. Now, speaking of that document scandal, I haven't spent much time on it this week, mostly because the situation is just still developing. And I don't think it's the sort of thing that we need to track every single day, but also because I think that it's pretty clearly some sort of op coming from somewhere. So in those cases, if you get really mired in the details and the minutiae, you end up discussing and arguing about all these nuances of a mostly fictional story. Now, I am in no way denying that classified documents were found on Biden's properties and that Joe Biden likely committed crimes against this country by taking top secret classified information to vulnerable locations funded by the Chinese Communist Party, where his son may have had access and they may have sold access to our foreign adversaries to those documents. All of those things are possible, but we don't need this extra story to convince us that Joe Biden is, in fact, one of the most corrupt politicians in American history. Political crime is his family business. What's most interesting here is the story that's actually developing below the surface. And the fact that what we're seeing now is just an issue that has been entirely below the surface, now beginning to poke through. Here's Cash Patel from this week. I'll tell you something else. I don't buy for one second. This investigation ban began because the librarians at NARA in November said, hey, uh, we need you to look at this. The FBI's, uh, it's called an electronic communication, an EC. That document must be subpoenaed by the subcommittee to find out when and why the FBI opened this investigation. And I bet you, dollar for donuts, they will fight that tooth and nail. But we're going to learn this investigation started in the summer of 2022. Why? What's significant right? about that yeah. timeline? Did they get some kind of a tip, you think, that he had classified information? Or what are you hinting at that might be there? Yeah, so look, when we were opening up cases, we didn't ask the librarians at NARA to do our national security homework for us. And if that's what happened, our system is more broken than I even thought. But I know there's still some competent FBI agents out there, and they suspected and had an investigation going, which led them to NARA. And then what happened was some of the corrupt government gangsters probably went in there and said, hey, we need to basically hide how this investigation started. So can you refer us the matter that we can come in there and look at? It just doesn't add up that they said NARA said we have classified documents missing. How did NARA figure that out? Who was talking right. to them? And so where did maybe- they get that? So pardon me, when you're talking about the U.S. attorney in Delaware investigating the laptop and Hunter, that maybe something got tripped up and led them to believe there were classified documents, something along those lines? I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, that's exactly what I suspect happened, because the Hunter Biden investigation has been going on for supposedly two years, right? Um, are you to tell me that there's nothing in there talking about these rent payments, these contracts on the on Joe Biden's house? Or is there anything yeah. on there that's sensitive? Forget classified. Let's just say, was there sensitive information related to the government? Of course, the FBI is going to take that or they should and say, OK, are there other classified documents or information in any place you stayed, Hunter Biden? And that house is where Hunter Biden supposedly stayed. I mean, it's a rent monetary amount matching exactly the money he was getting paid by some CCP yeah. outfit, which is another story. Crazy. But I think those sorts of investigations led to this, not the uh, NARA Interesting. Now, there's been some dispute and some confusion about the rent payment. 
stuff. So let's just ignore that and focus on the investigation in Delaware. And by the way, if you want to know all of the details in the best possible context, watch my friend Just Humans show. He has been hammering away at this stuff. So if you want to get deep into the nitty gritty of all of it, that's the guy to go to. But this David Weiss investigation in Delaware of Hunter Biden that has been going on for two years, that seems like it may be at the roots of this search for these classified documents. Is it possible that Hunter Biden himself gave up the information on where these documents were? It's possible. I don't know if that's true. Is it one of Hunter Biden's associates? Is it Devin Archer? Someone like that? Definitely could be. We're going to have to wait and see. But the administration has been trying to deflect from this issue or ignore the issue wherever they can for the last couple of weeks until finally Joe Biden decided to come out and talk about it yesterday. The only I, I will answer the question, but here's the deal. You know, what quite frankly bugs me is that we have a serious problem here. We're talking about we're talking about what's going on and. The American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. But having said that, what's your question? As we found, uh, we found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. You see that? It's no problem at all. They were just some classified documents that were filed in the wrong place. Apparently, Joe Biden filed all those documents in a think tank funded by the Chinese Communist Party and his garage. And I guess that wasn't the right place to file classified documents. Jonathan Turley, the legal analyst who is certainly no Donald Trump supporter, posted an article today. I have no regrets. President Biden breaks long silence with shattering admission. President Joe Biden has something that he wants the public to know. After the discovery of highly classified material in Biden's former office, his garage and library, the president wanted to make one thing and only one thing perfectly clear. I have no regrets. It was a moment that rivaled his disastrous observation that while classified material was found in his garage, it is a locked garage that also housed his beloved 1967 Chevrolet Corvette Stingray. While Biden's Corvette standard for storing classified documents was baffling, his declaration of no regrets is downright infuriating. It is also remarkably moronic with a special counsel in the field. Either the president believes that special counsel Robert Herr will paper over the entire affair or he is doing his best to force his hand with a criminal charge. Biden was miffed to even be asked about the matter after stonewalling the press for days. He ventured out of his White House bunker to tour storm damage in California and used the victims as a virtual human shield. You know what? quite frankly, bugs me is that we have a serious problem here. We're talking about we're talking about what's going on and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. You see, you send them out 
to monitor very serious storm damage, which, you know, storm damage exists. It's not some massive crisis, but it's a good chance to send California more money for no reason. And because Joe Biden is such a decent and caring guy, and remember, the adults are back in the room, he's concerned why the media would not want to be asking him questions about the victims of rain rather than asking him about his classified documents scandal, which apparently he believes Americans don't really care that much about. The problem is that recent polls show that while the president has no regrets, the public overwhelmingly does. Most citizens view his conduct as negligent. Roughly two thirds believe that Congress should investigate the president, including a majority of Democrats. 60% believe that he acted inappropriately with classified material. And he's citing a Yahoo YouGov poll. The results in Rasmussen were obviously even worse. Nevertheless, after days of hunkering down with his aides and polls, Biden decided to stick with total and absolute denial of regret or responsibility. It was not a surprise for many of us who have followed Biden and his family through the years. I wrote at the start of this scandal that Biden's silence is hardly surprising. Biden has always been better at expressing revulsion than responsibility. Time and again, he is literally rushed before cameras to denounce others, often without basis for alleged crimes. He has not waited for investigations, let alone trials. When it comes to his own alleged misconduct, Biden will deflect, deny, but rarely declare responsibility. The comments on Thursday were classic Biden. He first deflected by using the California victims. Then he denied any real responsibility. Despite the appointment of a special counsel to investigate his conduct, he shrugged off the entire matter as something akin to finding a neighbor's borrowed hammer from 2017 in his garage. We found a handful of documents were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives in the Justice Department. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Of course, there is also a special counsel there. Indeed, it is never a good idea to go public with expressions of no regret when you are being investigated on whether you took classification laws seriously. The statement was right out of the Alec Baldwin School of Criminal Defense in claiming that the gun did it. Fortunately, the president is not yet saying that the Corvette did it. Since the standard is gross mishandling of classified evidence, the last thing you want to do is convey a grossly negligent attitude toward the discovery of highly classified material in your various private spaces. The president even added that he is, quote, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly, end quote. That quick resolution is less likely when you are telling the special counsel that this is no big deal. This is precisely the type of attitude that leads to classified material being stored with your Corvette. It is hard to imagine how Biden's legal and political team would come up with this as the best approach when the president finally broke his silence. There is a difference between denying and dismissing an alleged crime. As a criminal defense attorney, I would be mortified by a client publicly dismissing the seriousness of a potential crime while he is under investigation. For most defendants, it would constitute, quote, bearding the lion and prosecutors would not take kindly to the approach. Of course, the president could be counting on his prior declaration that no one fucks with a Biden. However, he may be saying the quiet part out loud and putting her in an early and uncomfortable position. There is a there there. 
It is classified evidence in places like a garage. By stating that this is likely to wrap up quickly, Biden is not only showing little appreciation for the seriousness of the alleged crime, but the seriousness of the investigation. He is not only making her look like a stooge or cipher, he is making Baldwin look like a comparative genius. Now, it's been known and widely discussed that Joe Biden spends very little time at the White House and spends virtually all of his weekends and other time at his various houses in Delaware. And there is no visitor log when Joe Biden is at his private residences. So throughout his fake presidency, people have been coming and going to Joe Biden's private residences. We have no idea who those people are, but we do know he had classified documents at them throughout this time. We've been told that logs of those visitors do not exist, but the story on that seems to be changing as well. This is Fox News yesterday. Biden classified document investigation. Secret Service ready to provide Delaware visitors, source says. The U.S. Secret Service is prepared to offer names of individuals who visited President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home if requested by Congress, Fox News has learned. The White House continues to insist that there exists no formal visitor log for the personal residence where troves of classified documents were found. While the White House has not kept a formal list, the Secret Service does collect information on guests with regular access to the home. Retention of the names of those vetted by the Secret Service depends on a variety of factors, including proximity to the president and the nature of the background check. The Secret Service does not maintain visitor logs at the private residences of protectees, said U.S. Secret Service Chief of Communications Anthony Guglielmi. While the Secret Service does generate law enforcement and criminal justice information records for various individuals who may come into contact with Secret Service protected sites, we are not able to comment further as this speaks to the means and methods of our protective operations. Always sources and methods. We can't tell you because we have to protect our justifications for not telling you. A source familiar with the situation told Fox News that the Secret Service is prepared to provide available background information on vetted guests to Biden's residence if requested by Congress. Will we see those visitor logs? Who knows? But there is at least some likelihood that over the course of these last couple years, while Joe Biden's son has been investigated, that someone should be monitoring these sorts of things. Now, I mentioned that he is losing the protection of the media. This is how much the story has changed for CNN this week. And of course, you'll recall that all of media accepted Joe Biden never discussed any of his son's business dealings. He told the nation that throughout 2020 while he campaigned from his basement. Despite his denials, a CNN review of the laptop data, as well as other public material, shows that Joe Biden did interact with some of his son's associates while serving as vice president, though it's unclear exactly what was discussed. One example, the Republican site, Miguel Aleman Magnani, a Mexican businessman and son of the former president who Hunter was trying to woo. In 2014, Aleman Magnani and his dad were photographed at the White House with then-Vice President Biden. In a later email, Hunter Biden reminds Aleman Magnani of the favors he's done for him. We have been talking about business deals and partnerships for seven years. 
I have brought every single person you have ever asked me to bring to the effing White House and the Vice President's House and the inauguration. Hunter Biden bluntly acknowledged the power of the Biden name in a memoir, writing that the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, which put him on its board, considered my last name gold. I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. Say it ain't so, CNN. What caused the big turnaround? When did you stop believing that Joe Biden had never discussed his son's business dealings with his son, because they were all on the same page about that. And now they are citing evidence from the laptop that they reported to the American public was not real. It had all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation operation, but now the laptop's real. And now the evidence on the laptop is real. And of course, the evidence on the laptop says that Joe was intimately involved in his son's business dealings. And so now it's true because someone found classified documents at Joe Biden's various houses and his think tank a couple of weeks ago. Isn't CNN going to explain how they were misled? Isn't CNN going to explain how it's possible that evidence that's existed for over two years now has only just become evidence of the thing that they told everyone didn't happen. Now, if I didn't know better, I might think that the regime was trying to take Joe Biden down themselves, either to remove him from office or to weaken him enough so that he will not attempt to run for president in 2024. Not that it's his choice. Will we really see him announce a new candidacy? After the State of the Union, which he is expected to give on February 7th, I guess we'll see. But these are all the sort of problems you might expect with an illegitimate dictatorial regime in place, or at least pretending to be in place. Everything they have touched has further destroyed this country and society at large. The agenda they're implementing is explicitly anti-American. And that's not hyperbole. They are serving a global agenda. They are trying to have America subsumed into a global governing body as they've been working toward for decades and decades now. They are trying to destroy American sovereignty. There is no doubt about that. They are allowing the invasion on the southern border. They are depleting the strategic petroleum reserve. They are sending our weapons and some troops overseas to battles we should not be involved with. They're sending American wealth all around the world, laundering much of it, sending it to their friends, funneling it back to their own political campaigns. The regime is fully dependent on propaganda. They overtly promote the censorship and prosecution of their political opponents. They have continued to steal elections, and now they can't even defend themselves. This is Corinne Jean-Pierre from the White House press briefing room just today. Uh, yesterday, uh, the former president, uh, President Trump, uh, called for the jailing of uh, a pair of reporters from Politico who published that uh, Supreme Court opinion last year, as well as uh, the editor who supervised them and the publisher uh, of Politico. And... I know there was a uh, White House statement that went out earlier today, but 
I was hoping you could weigh in a little further on how the president feels about that sort of talk and uh, his commitment to press freedom. I can tell you that uh, the president believes the freedom of press is part of the bedrock of our American democracy. That is something that he truly believes uh, and that we should be, you know, continue to fight for. And calling for egregious abuses of power in order to suppress the constitutional rights of reporters is an insult. It is a complete insult to the rule of law and undermines fundamental American uh, values and traditions. So instead, it's the instead it's the responsibility. It's the responsibility of all leaders uh, to protect First Amendment rights, and that's what the president believes, and that's what he's going to continue to do to make sure that we protect those rights. So the context here is that yesterday Donald Trump put out a statement saying that if they can't find the Supreme Court leaker of the draft of the Dobbs decision from, I think it was April or May of last year in the run up to when the Supreme Court finally released their decisions, this one in particular, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, they have said they cannot find who the leaker was after their long investigation. And so Donald Trump said, well, then the reporters and the editor should be threatened with prison time because this is something that jeopardizes the integrity of the Supreme Court and caused some deranged leftist sociopath, we're told, to attempt to assassinate Justice Brett Kavanaugh and the illegitimate president's fake administration is trying to use this to turn everything around. They're the ones who protect the First Amendment and press freedom, even though they have a disinformation governance board that they were setting up so that they could censor information they didn't want the American public to know. They were working with tech companies to censor Americans and opposition media outlets. There may not have been an administration in this country that has ever posed a more direct threat to the First Amendment than the illegitimate administration in power now. And let's see how they actually view the press. To making him more available for for one-on-ones with both print and uh, other outlets uh, this year? Here's what I can tell you. The president is going to engage with reporters almost on a daily basis. He did it yesterday. He took questions uh, from your colleagues yesterday uh, when he was in California, and he will continue to do that. Uh, And uh, he believes that's important. He believes it's an opportunity to, when he communicates with all of you or answers your question, he he believes it's an important, uh, kind of you're an important vessel to the American people, right? Pushing out uh, what he is doing on, on behalf of the American people. He's, he does that almost every day, almost every day when he's in front of all of you, he takes a question. That's the commitment uh, that I can make uh, from here, uh, from the president. I'm going to move around, Christina. So he answers questions almost every day. Well, that's not true. He answered a question yesterday. Uh, okay. But did you catch what she said there? He thinks of you as a vessel to the American people to push out what he is doing on behalf of the American people. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it sounds like she just framed that answer in saying that Joe Biden believes the media exists to be a mouthpiece for his administration. And this has become pretty standard for them. They love the press and they love transparency. 
as long as what's being said by the press and what's being communicated to the public helps them and legitimizes them and explains away the disaster that is actually occurring. When the stories don't help the fake administration and the document story certainly does not help, you get answers like this. What does the president mean when he said no regrets? Because he's also said he takes very seriously the handling of uh, classified documents. So I'm unclear what he means about no regrets. So I'm not going to uh, comment further from what the president has said uh, yesterday. I think he uh, he laid out his thoughts. He was asked about it. He laid out his thoughts of whatever question he was asked. I'm not going to get I'm not going to get into specifics or I'm not going to uh, go beyond what the president has said. But I will reiterate from here uh, that uh, and basically what he said to 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 all of you many times at this point that he does indeed take classified information and seriously he does indeed take classified documents seriously i'm just not going to go beyond that i would refer you to the white house counsel's office for any specifics on on um on on the president's comments or what how the process is moving forward you just shed light on um, was he referring to sort of the rollout of the information or about the timeline or I'm just unclear about what he's and, not regretting. And, and, and Kelly O, I totally understand the question. I totally understand why you may want clarity here, but I'm going to be prudent. I'm going to be consistent here. I'm not going to comment on um, on on the ongoing uh, process, the legal process from here. Uh, I will just let the president's words stand for itself. I'm going to go around. So the president gave his thoughts yesterday, and Corinne Jean-Pierre, does not want to go beyond those thoughts. This is what it sounds like for an illegitimate regime to prove to the public that they have virtually no control over what's going on. They can't even put out a coherent message with the propaganda, with the media protection, with the big tech protection, with the censorship. They cannot get a coherent message out to the public. She's going to stand by what the president has already said. And truth be told, it's actually kind of a perfect slogan for the two years of illegitimacy we've witnessed. No regrets. But the good thing is that the man who was duly elected on November 3rd, 2020, is still on the battlefield and gaining strength all the time, even despite this massive psyop to blame Trump for the vaccine damage. He's undeterred and the polls are shifting quickly back in his direction. He released another video statement today. Under no circumstances should Republicans vote to cut a single penny from Medicare or Social Security to help pay for Joe Biden's reckless spending spree, which is more reckless than anybody's ever done or had in the history of our country. Biden has blown out the federal budget, wasted trillions on left-wing lunacy and the ridiculous Green New Deal, which is a tremendous problem and embarrassment to us, and thrown open our Treasury and our borders to migrants from all over the world. In fact, migrants that are coming from prisons and migrants that are coming from mental institutions are being dropped into the United States, and we do nothing about it. I had the safest border in the history of our country just two years ago. And now we have probably the worst border in the history of the world. I don't think any country has ever had anything like we have right now. 
While we absolutely need to stop Biden's out-of-control spending, the pain should be borne by Washington bureaucrats, not by hardworking American families and American seniors. The seniors are being absolutely destroyed in the last two years. Cut the hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars going to corrupt foreign countries. Cut the mass releases of illegal aliens that are depleting our social safety net and destroying our country. Cut the left-wing gender programs from our military. Cut the billions being spent on climate extremism. Cut waste, fraud, and abuse everywhere that we can find it, and there's plenty of it. But do not cut the benefits our seniors worked for and paid for their entire lives. Save Social Security. Don't destroy it. The Democrats are looking to destroy Social Security. We're not going to let them do it. Thank you very much. So you can hate the sound of his voice if you want, but that man is still fighting. He's still on the battlefield. He's still on top of the important issues, and he's talking about the important issues directly to the American people. He is the best fighter we have. And this isn't some fantasy situation. The country is at war. We have an illegitimate dictator pretending to be president. This is a binary choice. It is Trump and MAGA against the regime. Donald Trump won. He is president by right. And absolutely no substitute will do, particularly when none of those proposed substitutes have in the last two years and three months now even begun to address the most crucial problem in our society, which is the fact that our elections are stolen. That is what allows all of this to happen at every level, no matter which issue is the most important to you, the economy, the vaccines, child trafficking, energy resources, foreign policy, abortion, wokeness, propaganda, censorship, big tech, go down the line. At the root of all those problems is the fact that the people pretending to govern us are not doing so with the consent of the people. We know that, and that fact will never be forgotten. Despite that, we have still made it. We have still endured two years of this, and we are in a better position now than we were then. That means that necessitates the fact that we are winning. So keep pushing forward and do so fearlessly. We have a country to take back. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com. And you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. 
linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!